0: Is my co host Curtis, and today on the show, we're going to close out our 2020 win totals picks. Last week, we covered the SEC East along with select picks in the ACC and Pac 12, and today we are covering everything else which would be the SEC West, the Big Ten, and the Big 12. I know this is nominally a Georgia podcast, and that's where we focus the vast majority of our time, like essentially all of our time. But we also just love college football in general. And this is, I don't know, it's just one of those fun off-season topics that we like to do. And this is definitely Georgia-related because we're going to discuss a number of the teams on our 2020 schedule. But before we get to the win totals, We're going to start with a brief Georgia-specific topic. In case you missed it over the weekend, running back commit Lavassier Carroll. And I'm still not sure I'm saying that first name correctly, but we're going to go with that until I actually hear someone say it out loud. I still have not heard someone say it out loud. They actually don't... I take that back. I've heard one or two people say it, and they've pronounced it that way. So until I hear it differently, we're going to go with Lavassier Carroll. Uh, He originally committed back at the beginning of the pandemic, but he had been putting... Some pretty ominous stuff out on social media leading into the weekend, at least ominous if you're a Georgia fan like all of us, and he was kind of strongly hinting at an impending decommitment. He kicked off all the speculation by tweeting out, quote, business decision coming, and that was that was it. That was the tweet. And then followed that up over the next few days with some um, some fairly pro-Florida retweets and comments. Uh, for example, he retweeted and commented on Kamara Wilcoxon's recommitment to Florida. Wilcoxon's been all over the place. Committed to Florida, decommitted, committed to Florida, uh, decommitted and committed to Tennessee. Now he's decommitted from Tennessee. He's going to go to Florida again. So he's been all over the, all over the place. But he recommitted to Florida, and maybe for the final time. We'll see. And so Carol, who is actually teammates with Wilcoxon at IMG down in Florida— he responded to that with some gator emojis. He also then later on commented on the double standard between coaches leaving schools, penalty free, and then players decommitting, kind of getting heat for that. So that kind of lent more credence to the idea that he might be decommitting, at least thinking about it. Then he posted some fire emojis to an edit of him in a Florida uniform, which is not altogether uncommon. Players do that all the time. They like to keep people guessing. But when you take that in combination with all the other things, it kind of hinted at a, a decommitment of some sort. So Uh, Yeah, the stage was very much set for a flip to Florida. But I'm not sure you guys know this, but we have this guy named Kirby Smart as our head coach. And clearly, he went to work once he found out what was going on. He probably had advanced knowledge of this, obviously, more so than we would know. Uh, So, fast forward to Sunday morning, and what do we get? Well, instead of a decommitment announcement like everyone was expecting, we get not only a doubling down of Carroll's commitment, but he also announced that. Quote, finally, I decided to shut down my recruitment for good. I'm all in dog nation, end quote. All right, a couple of things here, Curtis. First, what was your initial reaction when you saw the news that Carol was doubling down on his commitment and not actually decommitting like... The whole recruiting world thought he was going to. What was your initial reaction when you saw that? I think you have to feel just a, a little bit of relief more than anything. I
1: mean, especially when he doubled down and the fact that he said he's completely done with the whole recruiting process. So just it just makes you feel like you already went through that thing where he was flirting with another school, and now that's just one less thing you have to worry about when it comes, you know, any of your players holding on to them.
0: And you see recruits say this, you know, it, it's not altogether uncommon at some point, especially when they when they're kind of like. Wavering in there, they've already been committed, they're wavering, potentially looking at other schools, but then they double down, they come down and they say, All right, I'm completely shutting down my commitment, I'm not taking any more bids, it's that kind of thing. And a lot of those guys do stick to that, some of them maybe not as much, some of them still kind of flirt behind the scenes. How much stock do you put in what Carol said? Do you really buy that he is throwing the towel in his recruitment and he is 100% committed and he's not looking anywhere else? I would be shocked if he wasn't because I think the fact that he's already done his flirtation shows that,
1: especially the fact that. If he really wasn't sold on George, he would have just gone ahead and decommitted like the plan was and kind of reopened everything to take a step back, but he didn't do that.
0: Yeah, and look, I think you have to take these guys at their word. And, and like, could they go back on their word? Sure, of course. Like, nothing is written in stone here. Like, they don't sign anything in blood right now. That doesn't happen. So he's within his rights to go back and and start taking visits again if things happen. So it's been done before. It's not unprecedented. But I think at this point, like, we have no reason to not take him at his word. So, until we get a reason, until there's something else that pops up and, and makes us think otherwise, I think we have to at least give the guy the benefit of the doubt right now and take him at his word. But as far as my initial reaction to this recommitment, I guess, even though he was already committed and didn't actually decommit, I guess we can call it a recommitment, a doubling down. But my initial reaction was that it was very fitting that this came down on Father's Day. Like, that was actually my first thought because. This is just the latest piece of evidence that Kirby Smart is indeed, as we all thought, Dan Mullen's daddy when it comes to recruiting and coaching, by the way. And it's not like we needed more evidence for that. Like, we already knew that. I mean, Kirby's got two number one classes over the last three cycles, while Mullen has pulled in on average over the last three cycles at Florida, since he's taken over as head coach there. He's pulled on average the 11th ranked class. Kirby's landed 16 five-stars over the last three cycles to Mullen's one. Yes, 16 times more five-star prospects than Dan Mullen. That's how many guys Kirby's landed. It's not even close, not even a conversation on the recruiting front. It's really not. It's kind of laughable. It's comical at this point. And as far as the coaching stuff, let's go there, all right? I know it's, I'm kind of going off the deep in here, but let's go there because I told you guys last week that I would go crunch the numbers. And, well... I guess you can say I did that. And forgive me here, guys. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant just for a couple of minutes, but I got to get this off my chest. I've got to. In 10 meetings, all right, so talking about why Kirby is Dan Mullen's daddy, all right, right, we've that's clear in recruiting. Let's talk about why he's Dan Mullen's daddy in coaching too, because that's not the general consensus when it comes to the national media and really, I guess, fans out there outside of the Georgia fan base. But let's just talk about this for a minute. In 10 meetings... Between the two guys, where Dan Mullen was the head coach, whether it's at Mississippi State or Florida now, head coach and play caller offensively, and Kirby was the defensive coordinator or head coach who's heavily involved with defensive game plan and defensive play calling. We've seen Kirby out there in the sidelines during games. We know he's doing a lot of the coaching, a lot of the calling of plays there defensively, even though he's the head coach right now. Mullen's offenses, and I alluded to this last week, but I wanted to follow up on it because I told you guys I would. Mullen's offenses have averaged four. Point two points a game through three quarters against Kirby Smart defenses, okay? 4.2 points through three quarters on average against Kirby Smart's defense, whether Kirby was the defense coordinator or the head coach now. And only 9.7 points per game total in 10 matchups against them. If you do the math, that means over the course of 10 different seasons, 10 different matchups against each other, Head, head, straight up, head-to-head, Dan Mullen calling the plays offensively, Kirby Smart calling the plays defensively, Dan Mullen's offenses have still yet to score 100 points total on Kirby Smart defenses over the course of 10 games. That's ridiculous. And you may ask why I included the 4.2 points through three quarters deal. That's a fair question. And my response is this. That I included those numbers because Kirby's defenses often suffocated Dan Mullen's offenses so bad in their matchups that the game just wasn't a contest going to the fourth quarter. And the dogs defensively for Kirby Smart's defenses, whether at Alabama or her at Georgia, were very clearly caught off in a lot of those games. Uh, and to take it a step further, Mullen's offenses have only averaged a paltry 275 yards a game against Kirby's defenses, while Dan Mullen's offenses have averaged 432 yards a game against everyone else that he has played as a head coach. That's 157 yard per game differential when you look at what Dan Mullen has done against every other defensive coordinator or head coach that calls defensive plays and Kirby Smart. It is a massive golf. It is insane. 157-yard game differential. And he's also, in 10 matches against Kirby Smart Defense, has only gone for over 300 yards twice. And both of those games were with Dak Prescott. I think it was his junior and senior years. And he still only managed 13 points a game in those two games where he went for over 300 yards against Kirby Smart Defense. And Look, guys, I know, I know, I know what the Mullen bros out there are going to say. They're very eager to point out that, oh, yeah, but Mullen was coaching at Mississippi State. He didn't have the same kind of talent that Kirby did. Okay, okay, on, on some level, I hear you, I get you. But at the same time, doesn't that undercut their argument that Mullen did more with less which is the foundational basis for the whole Mullen is better than Kirby movement. The idea that Kirby may recruit better players, but Mullen can coach circles around him. Yeah, Kirby has better players, and that's why he always wins these matchups, but Mullen, he, he can still coach circles around Kirby. He's such a better X's and O's coach. Um, well, the fact is, guys, that has literally never happened in 10 matchups between the guys. Yes, Kirby has had the better players every single time they played each other. That's true. Can't deny that. That's certainly true. But Mullen has not one time, not even one time in 10 games, head up against each other, Coach circles around Kirby Smart and been able to overcome the talent deficiency. And, and again, that's that undercuts the argument that all the, the Mullen bros out there make. This idea that, yeah, well, Mullen's still a better coach because he does so much more or less. Well... Uh, has he done so much more? Like if he was this this coach could take this inferior talent and just coach them up and beat the guys with better talent. Well, that's never happened. Not even one time when he has played Kirby smart defenses. It just has never happened. So why is it going to all of a sudden start happening now? Like, look, Mullen will probably beat Kirby once. It'll probably happen. Crazy things happen. But in no way is that ever going to happen consistently. The, the the history just doesn't suggest that it's going to. And by the way, let's not forget, yeah, he's also spent the past two seasons coaching at Florida, right? Right? Where his overall talent is significantly greater than what he was working with at Mississippi State. Right? Yeah? Yeah? Uh, and the results are very similar. A little bit better than what what we saw at Mississippi State, but not all that much better. Mullen's teams at Florida, his offenses at Florida, have averaged eight and a half points a game through three quarters and 17 points a game overall, 276 yards a game against Kirby Smart's defenses here at Georgia. That is a smaller sample size than what we saw at Mississippi State, but guys, yeah, you heard that right. 270 He's averaging 276 yards a game as the head coach at Florida against Kirby Smart's Georgia defenses. He averaged 275 yards a game as the head coach at Mississippi State against Kirby Smart's defenses at Alabama. I guess one year here also does in 17 when we played Mississippi State at home here in Sanford Stadium. So yeah, you heard that right guys. The dude is literally averaging only one more yard a game versus Kirby Smart defenses at Florida than he did while at Mississippi State. So get out of here with that, well, the only reason Kirby has had more success straight up is because of the overwhelming talent differential. Not, that's not, that completely undercuts the argument. Dan Mullen, with a lot more talent at than he ever had at Mississippi State, is averaging one more yard a game against Kirby smart defense than he did when he was at Mississippi State. There's just, it's, not, it's not about that. And, and while it, it can't be ignored entirely as a factor, like the fact that he's had less talent, it has been a factor. Sure, it has, to a degree. But maybe, just maybe... The problem isn't so much the talent differential as it is Dan Mullen himself. Maybe, just maybe, Kirby just owns him. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe Kirby is the better coach. You know, the guy who has won three times more division titles as Dan Mullen and played for a national title and won multiple New Year's Six Bowl games in less than half as many years as a head coach? Just facts, guys. Just facts. Straight up facts. And Look, I'm not saying Mont is not a good coach. He is. He is a good football coach. A very good football coach, even. You don't accidentally walk into ten win seasons at Florida. And what he did at, what he did at Mississippi State was impressive. Like it, it absolutely was. Like Mississippi State was never really great under him. They had that one year they went to the road, went to the Orange Bowl with Dak Prescott. They only that was the only year they won ten games in nine seasons at Mississippi State. Uh, when Dan was their head coach. He got them to a level where they were consistently good enough to make bowl games and win seven or eight games and occasionally get to nine. And when, that's better than their traditional historical standard. But he was never necessarily, like they were never elite under Dan except so maybe that one year where they, where they were ranked number one, I think it was the first, I think it was that the first time ever they had a college football playoff ranking. It was Mississippi State was ranked number one in 2014. I think that's right. Somebody can fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's right off, off the top of my head. But look, guys, I'm tired of this media echo chamber of irrationality where Dan Mullen is it's not only that he is apparently Kirby Smart's superior, but that he's unequivocally Kirby Smart's superior, and you get shouted down if you dare to suggest otherwise. And look, I know. It really doesn't matter, and I'm going off the deep end here on something that it doesn't really matter, honestly. It doesn't. I get that, and normally I don't let things like this bother me, but uh, I mean, look, analysts and prognosticators out there, they, they can say whatever they want. And Kirby's just he's just going to keep winning and keep landing top recruiting classes. That's just, that's going to happen. And look, they have a right to say what they want. That's fine. And, and people in the media can be wrong. That's cool. It happens. I'm wrong a lot when, on this show. It, it happens. When you talk like this on a show consistently week after week, you're going to be wrong every now and then. That's cool. It happens. What I have an issue with though, is when the narratives that you spread are lazy and completely unsupported by actual facts. And data, and every single coach ranking, every single one that I have seen this offseason has had Dan Mullen ahead of Kirby Smart, just further promulgating this inane notion that Kirby—he's you know—he's—he's just a good recruiter, but but he's an average coach. Like he's really not that good from an X's and O standpoint. He just has better players. The problem is, I think—I think this is the real problem. The problem is the majority of people in the mainstream sports media who generate and promote these narratives. And I think I kind of alluded to this on the la- uh, last week when we talked about this. They only have service level understandings of football. Like they don't really, really understand football on a deep level. They like to say that Kirby is just an average X's and O's coach, but like they never discuss that he's, like. let's just say, for instance, largely responsible for the advent of the mint front, like or what some people call the tight front that have helped defenses fight back against spread offenses. You know, if you think back to when. Alabama and Kirby Smart-Stevens were having some of those issues against spread offenses. Think about was Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl one year, Ohio State in the National Championship game. Think about some of those failures they had against those high-powered spread offenses. Well, Kirby went back to the drawing board, and he had to come up with a way to counteract that, to change up his scheme to match up with what modern-day offensive football has largely become. And the mint front the tight front, has been a big part of that, which is what it essentially allows you to do is it allows you to stay structurally sound against the run on the interior with only two or three true down linemen and still have enough speed and athleticism out there on the field to match up with how offenses want to spread you out and use space. Think about how much more effective Kirby Smart for the past what four or five years I guess since he's been here in Athens how much more effective we've been against teams that have like true dual threat quarterbacks compared to when he was at Alabama some of those teams gave him a lot of trouble when when spread offenses were brand new and dual threat quarterbacks were all were, were kind of coming onto the scene and, and really kind of proliferating all over the place well now like you're not saying that we never have any issues with those kind of quarterbacks but not nearly to the degree that Kirby did back at Alabama when those offenses were first coming around and that's because he has adjusted from an X to no standpoint. The guy gets it, he knows what he's doing, uh, and that he's one of the architects of kind of the new age simulated pressures and, and third down packages that you see all over the place now. They don't talk about that because they don't understand any of that, they don't, they just don't understand it. And that's fine, not everyone has to be an expert, that's cool, but it just annoys me when people who aren't experts but claim that mantle for themselves. Go out there and just spew ridiculous, shallow drivel. It just annoys me to no end. But uh, okay, rant over. Thank you guys for giving me the chance to get that off my chest. That's been eating at me for a little while now. I had to get that off my chest. But let's get back to Lavasse Carroll here for a a few more minutes before we move on to our over-under picks. So Lavasse Carroll, he's back in the fold. He never really left the fold, but he's fully 100% in the fold here, Kurt. But how important really was it for us to get him completely locked down?
1: Um, I think it's really important because I think honestly it allows us to kind of just be more uh, a little bit picky per se when we're trying to fill that other running back role. And I just go
0: all in for a guy like, oh, I don't know, maybe Donovan Edwards? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's, a re- and that's something I haven't heard really talked about when it comes to Carroll's commitment. A lot of people obviously are, are having fun at Ford's expense, and as they rightfully should – but I think it's big for us not only to see a good player in his own right, but this does kind of take a little bit of the pressure off of us. Like we need two backs in this class. I think that's fair to say at this point. I think that's where what I would be shooting for. I think that's what our coaches are shooting for right now. I think that's pretty clear. You look at how the recruitment at the running back position has gone. And now that we have one guy locked down, especially if he's saying, like, I am done with my recruitment. I am I am not opening this back up. I'm not talking to anyone else. Like, that's a big relief for the coach to not only not have to worry about his commitment as much. Obviously, you still recruit the guy and you got to show him love. I mean, you have to do that, but maybe not to the degree you would have had to uh, if he was still kind of open up and looking around other places. You can really focus on the other high level guys on your on your on your list right now. Guys like Donovan Edwards, absolutely. How good of a running back do you think Carroll is, Carl? Like, how big of it is to to, to just keep his commitment from a talent perspective?
1: Um, I think it's big. I think the guy has tremendous speed, which is going to be the one thing that really separates him from the other guys.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the strongest part of his game. When I, and I when I watch this guy play, and, I, and I've talked about him before during this whole pandemic process when he first committed, I think that was in late March, early April, I want to say. But uh, just for anyone who might have missed that, I, I, look, Carroll is a really good player. He's he's a borderline top owner prospect in my mind. Like that's essentially where he's ranked. I think that's fitting for him. I don't know uh, if he's uh, if he should be like in the top fifty or anything like that. But he's a really good player. I don't know if he's necessarily super elite at any one area of being a running back, like in terms of his skill set. But I think he's really good all the way around. I think he has really really good speed. Is it like the, is he the fastest running back I've ever seen? No, probably not, but still, like you said, really good speed. Uh, Is he the most powerful running back I've ever seen? No, but he can put his shoulder down and run with power. Is he the the quickest guy? Is he the best short area quickness I've ever seen? No, but he's got really good footwork. So I, I just don't know if there's as many holes in his game as some of these other guys. I think he's a really good, solid back a guy that can absolutely come in and be a contributor for us. I'm not saying he's ever going to turn into a DeAndre Swift or Nick Chubb or something Michelle type guy. I mean, a few guys do. But I think he can absolutely come in and be a, a very good contributor for us for a couple of years. I think that's certainly within, uh, strongly within the realm of possibility. But all right, so great news there, locking down Carroll. Now hopefully, like we said, we can go get Domin Edwards out of Michigan or another elite back to pair with Carroll. But now let's turn our attention towards our win totals picks. We did the SEC East and the ACC Pac-12 last week. Had a lot of fun doing that show. If you haven't checked that out, it's still up there. Obviously, you can go check that out right now or, I guess, after you listen to this show. And today, we are on to the SEC West and the Big Ten, Big 12, basically just doing the rest of the conferences and divisions. And the rules are the same. As last week, Curtis and I each have $25,000 to play with. No, not real money but it'd be nice if it was real money, but just imaginary dollars for the purposes of this show. And with that $25,000, we are placing six bets each each since we are a Georgia and SEC-centric podcast, four of our bets have to be on teams from the SEC West. That's going to be the focus of the show since we actually play a couple of those teams, which means we have two extra bets to make on teams, either the Big Ten or the Big 12. So pretty simple. Uh, it's a $1,000 uh, minimum bet for whoever we put money on, so it can't go under that. You can go as high as you want, uh, I guess. But, yeah, so 1000 minimum bet. And for those of you who may have missed our SEC E show last week, real quick, let's recap that. Curtis's picks were Georgia over ten wins with a five thousand dollar bet, but five and a half thousand down on Kentucky to go under seven, two thousand down on Tennessee to go over seven and a half wins. He's got USC going under five and a half with a two and a half thousand dollar bet. He went big on the low hanging fruit with Clemson, which I can't fault him. this is this is this is the easiest pick probably out there. Got Clemson going. Over 11 and a half with an $8,000 bet, big time there. And then he's got USC, Southern California, going over eight wins with a $2,000 bet. I really like that pick, actually. My picks were Georgia, also over 10, with the same $5,000 bet. Promise that wasn't planned. However, I've got Tennessee going under seven are under seven and a half wins with a $4,000 bet. I've got 10,000 large, went huge on Missouri to go over five wins. I don't think they're gonna go way over, but maybe six wins. I've got $1,000 only, not very confident in South Carolina to go over five and a half. In the ACC, I've got Miami going under nine with a $2,000 bet. I've also got $3,000 down on the North Carolina Tar Heels to go over eight and a half. So, Kirk, I'm going to let you open this up. You get the honor of starting us off today with your SEC West pick. So, who are you going with first?
1: First, I'm going to go with Alabama, uh, 10,000 to go over.
0: Oh, okay. You and I are – I was actually surprised that we had some different picks when we did the SEC West version of this last week. And we're going to start off with a difference here as well. So, all right. So, you're going over Alabama, and you're going over Alabama huge. All right, 10,000 over Alabama over 10 and a half so you have them going at least 11 wins right yeah over 10 and a half all right so tell me why why is Alabama going to get at least 11 wins this year
1: um first off I think the biggest thing that jumps out at it, it uh, out you is the fact that almost every tough game they have is at home except for
0: when they go to LSU and that's a fair point and I, I think schedule when you're doing win total picks, schedule is where I start with things obviously I start there I go okay like what are their guaranteed wins or guaranteed losses? What are their toss up games? And then you kind of work from there, you know, with the talent, the matchups, and that kind of thing. So I think you start with a schedule. So I like that you start with a schedule. And that's a really good point that most of their tough games, whether it's Georgia, AM, Auburn, they're all at home with the exception of LSU. That's very true. But is like Alabama, I think, took a step back last year and not a, not a major step back. They didn't fall off the cliff or anything, but especially defensively. That was not the same Alabama team. Plus you're losing to a tonga bailoa. Do you think Alabama takes a step back towards what they normally are defensively this year? I don't think they're gonna take a big step forward, no, but
1: I just don't think that the other teams in the West are that strong in general. Um LSU could be taking yeah. a step back. I think AM will be better, but I just AM has to get over the hump before, especially on the road before because I mean, as good as they've been, they've never really won games on the road. Um so and I think right. that's why I go with them going over because, I mean, realistically, I have them beating us week three or whenever we go there. And even if they lost to us, I don't know if there's anyone in the West that really makes me think that they can compete with Alabama.
0: Okay, and th- those are all fair points, and like, I don't feel strong about about this. I, I actually have – I'm going Alabama under 10.5. I'm only going with a $2,000 bet, so I don't feel confident. This is one of those – like, I, if I was picking – like, I would never just bet on this, but if I have to pick four SEC West teams, like, I guess I'm going to go with Alabama as one of them, but I'm certainly not nearly as confident as I am in some of these other picks. We'll talk about here in a few minutes. So I'm not going to argue with you too much on this. The reason I went under – on Alabama. Like I said, I think they took a slight step back last year defensively. I don't see them. I know everyone's talking about oh Dylan Moses is coming back. Dylan Moses is coming back. Like like he's actually Moses who's going to lead them to the promised land and like like he's good. He's a good linebacker, but like I don't think Dylan Moses fixes all their problems defensively. Do you?
1: No, I don't.
0: Yeah, and like he's and by the way, he's coming off a torn ACL. So, yeah, he'll be good, but will he be what he was before? I mean, maybe, but Oftentimes we see that guys aren't necessarily exactly what they were, at least in year one, coming back off an ACL injury. We've seen that with some of our own guys. Uh, and, look, they have a lot – they do have some young guys that played last year that are coming back. But, man, like – yeah, Dylan, so Dylan Moses is coming back, but that they're also ignoring all the guys they lost off of that defense last year, which was already the worst defense of the Saban era. I mean, they were, they're 75th nationally in returning defensive production. And, again, that was the – I mean, really the worst de- – Defense of so the Saban era going back to, like, I guess maybe with the exception of this first year, there. I mean, the, Patrick Sertan is the only major contributor returning the secondary. I thought he was the worst player in the secondary last year. He got a lot of love because he was a highly rated recruiter. I think he was number six nationally coming out of high school. I thought he got picked on at times last year. Uh, on the Demons of they have some guys that could end up being really good this year, but they haven't done it yet. Guys like DJ Dale, Christian Bar, like, good players, but they haven't stepped up and like taken over as elite players yet. Maybe it happens this year, but. I don't know if you can count on that until you see it. Uh, and I just—I think there's holes on that defense still. It's a big reason why I picked against them in the West last year. I mean, you guys remember I picked LSU to win the West last year. I didn't have them winning the national championship. I had them winning the West, and a big part of that was I thought there were holes on the Alabama defense. And I, and I—that's also a big reason why I'm going to go under this season. Kurt, you make a really good point with the schedule. The schedule does give me some concern in terms of like going under on this because. You're right. It's fairly favorable. Yes, they draw us out of the East, but it's at home early in the season. We have a new coordinator, new coach, uh, and and new uh, well, I guess new coordinator slash coach, and a new quarterback. Whoever it's going to be is going to be a new guy. So I mean, I get that. I mean, and a And I'm with you. I think I think a And M has had a chance to be really good this year. But I would I don't know, man. It's at Alabama. If it was at a And M. I feel a bit better about that. Auburn, I don't think is going to be – we're going to get into Auburn here in a little bit. I'm not that high on Auburn this year. LSU, it's at LSU. It's a tough place to play, but I don't know if LSU is going to be as good. So I get what you're saying about that. I'd also caution you with this one. No one's going to talk about this game. They're, they're going to think Alabama is going to roll their helmets out there and win in week one against USC. You had USC as one of the teams you were going over eight wins. You went pretty heavy on the over last week with USC. Is it like with just completely out of their own possibility that USC could give Alabama a game in week one? Um, I just don't see it happening yet. I mean, they have so yeah. much to
1: replace that. I just don't think week one they're going to be ready.
0: I don't know, man. I I think USC's got a lot coming back. I really like them at quarterback. and They've got some holes in defense on defense for Alabama. I, I would pick Alabama to win that game, but I wouldn't be shocked if USC kept that one close. So I guess I, when I think their schedule, I agree with you, most of what you're saying on the schedule. I think there's, just, there's five games I think they could lose, and that's not normally what you say when you're talking about Alabama. I think they – could lose to us. I I I agree with you. I'd say like right now, I'd probably make them the favorite when we go up there week three. But they could lose to us. I'd probably have them the favorite at LSU. But they could lose to LSU. I'd probably have them the favorite against a And M and Auburn at home. But they could lose those games. Uh, and I'm I mean, again USC. Maybe I said there's five games I think they could possibly in some world lose. And I'm not sold their elite at quarterback right now. I uh, have a really good offensive line returning, but they're not as deep at wide receiver as they were. I mean, they're really good. They're still really, really good. If they went under, I would say under at 10. I don't see them losing any more than two games max. I don't see that happen. They're not going to fall off the face of the earth. But I'm going to ever so hesitantly go under on Alabama with a $2,000 bet. All right, who you got coming up with your second bet on the SEC West? Um, I'm going to go 2000 under for A&M. All right. All right, so I didn't go I, I am really intrigued by actually I did go I did go with AM. That's one of my other ones that's not as heavily uh leveraged on. So well, okay, so you went under I went over AM. All right, you went under nine and a half on AM. Why did you go under? I think they're gonna be right at nine. I just
1: the big game for me that's a toss up for them is at Auburn. And the thing is that they with this year when they draw Auburn is it's later in the year when Auburn's a kind of a deadly team um at home, especially when it's colder.
0: Yeah, I mean – And then and honestly no. has
1: never showed me that they can win on the road right now.
0: The best thing about a like, they've, they've had talent at, at, at spots for years. I can
1: go back to Johnny like, they, Hill. They're tough at home, don't get me wrong. But outside that one year when they beat Bama with Johnny Football, they've never won a road game that's really mad. Yeah.
0: I don't even, even know if they're they that tough at home. Yeah, they're better at home. But I don't know if, like, they're better at home. But they haven't won any like, – they just haven't really – other than the game at Alabama, I think it was 2012 – what other big game has LSU actually or has A and M actually won? None that I can really think of. The seven overtime game against LSU, but I mean LSU was good that year. They weren't what they were last year, and even then, as a home game, that's what I'm saying like yeah.
1: the road games. When I mean all those times they were going in highly ranked and stuff and they get blown out.
0: Yeah, I mean history. History is on your side on this one. The A and M has been hyped before. But has never really been able to break through, the exception and even when they had Johnny Football, like they didn't, they didn't go to, they didn't go to a, a BCS or New Year Six. They haven't been to that. Like they've been, they've been a consistently solid program, like a seven, eight win program, consistently, with, you know, with a chance to go up to nine wins here and there. Uh, but I also, when I'm trying to project, like history plays a role in it, but I don't always know if that has anything to do with what's going to happen on the field this year. I do think this is the best team a going to have has had since the 2012 team with, with Johnny Manziel. This is year three with Jimbo Fisher, Kalamon. Year three is a starter, I'm still not 100 percent sold on Kelamon. Like he made strides last year as a quarterback, I still don't think he's a fit for Jimbo's style of offense, more pro style of offense. I think they kind of hamstring themselves with not using him in the run game more. And they, if you notice last year, they started using more in the run game late, later in the year, and they started to actually play a lot better. And they started because they were not trouble to run the football at all uh, before that. So I think maybe. Hopefully for them, if Jimbo learn from that, maybe they'll actually use him a little bit more consistently in the run games. That's what Kelamon brings to the table. He's a good passer, decent passer, but not that's not his forte. I think running the football is really what makes him special. They have some good receivers coming back. Courtney Davis is a guy that I thought was really good last year. He's gone. Jamana Osbin, though, it has returned. I think he was the best receiver last year, honestly. Um, Cameron Buckley coming back as well. And they've got some guys defensively as well. Buddy Johnson's a really good linebacker, so they have talent. They don't, I, I still don't know if they have Alabama talent. Now, no, they don't. I'm not gonna say I don't know if they like they've recruited really well under Jimbo, but they don't have that kind of talent yet. But I, if you look at the rest of the SEC West, with the exception of maybe LSU, and LSU just lost so much off last year's team, and a lot of their talent is they're great talent. I think LSU's more talented than them, but I don't know if they're it's as, as as experienced talent. But outside of Alabama, like I think LSU are. I think a might have the most talented and experience – like the combination of talent and experience in that division right now. And, yeah, they have to they have to go to Alabama. They have to go to Auburn. That's tough. But I don't think Auburn's going to be that great this year. If you look at AM, so AM, you've got them going under 9.5. So I have to have them at 10. But I see automatic wins. They're going to beat Abilene Christian, North Texas, going to beat Colorado, going to beat Arkansas, going to beat Mississippi State, going to beat Fresno State, going to beat South Carolina. That's 7. Ole Miss at home, that's 8. Vanderbilt at home, that's 9 wins right there. All right. so if they can win one more game, uh, LSU at home, at Alabama, at Auburn, if they can win one of those games, which is tough, I mean those are the toughest games on their schedule, then they're going to go over. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going put my faith in Jimbo Fisher here to get one of those three wins with at Auburn, at Alabama, or LSU at home. I don't think it'll be at Alabama. but I think at Auburn or LSU at home are, are winnable games for them. So I'm going to have them go ever so slightly over nine and a half wins at ten wins. And I, but I am even less confident in this one than I am in the Alabama pick. I got them uh, going over at $1,000 bet there. So you had them under, and what was your – what? how much money did you put on that one, Kurt? $1,500. $1,500, one5 All right. Okay, I got to try to keep tracking these. All right, what you got next? Um, I'm going to go 2500
1: Arkansas going under.
0: Under three?
1: Three and a half, I believe. Three and a half. Yeah, you're
0: right. It's three and a half. Under, under three and a half. So Arkansas has got three wins – at two and a half thousand dollars all right so no love for for the big hoss man sam Pittman. i mean when felipe franks is your quarterback you
1: don't have much faith and i mean i just sam Pittman was a great offensive line recruiter but he's got his hands full trying to get arkansas back and that's why i just don't see
0: it happening I don't I mean who they don't have if they had Vanderbilt on the schedule I might give it to them but like who are they I don't they even know if Vanderbilt? they'll get to the
1: 3 wins I mean that's if they beat um
0: Nevada which
1: the, with how bad Arkansas is I don't even put that as a guaranteed win.
0: Yeah. I mean I like who are they beating in the SEC this year? I am no one. I only
1: have them it, maybe Nevada other than that Charleston Southern and um ULM Louisiana Monroe those are the yeah. only wins I have them having.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the and games
1: toss up, like I said.
0: Yeah, and the games in the SEC that they could potentially win, a lot of those games are on the road. I mean, you got at at well, they're at Missouri, but technically that's a neutral site game in Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Uh, but then you've got like I'm not sure how good Mississippi State's going to be this year, but it's at Mississippi State that doesn't really help you. Uh, you get Ole Miss at home, so I'm like, if if there was maybe somewhere they could win a game, maybe it's Ole Miss at home. And I yes, just believe Ole Miss will be better
1: under uh, yeah. Kiffin, and then that quarterback him coming back.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ole Miss is a better football team. I don't think Ole Miss is going to lose to Arkansas, whether it's in Razorback Stadium or not. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good pick. I thought about that one, but uh, I ultimately decided to go elsewhere. So, you got two and a half thousand on Arkansas. All right, my next pick in the SEC West. All right, did you pick? Did you bet on Auburn at all? Were they one of your bets? Um, I was considering it. I, okay, I you think didn't you're going to go. I was
1: considering going over.
0: Oh, okay. So, all right. Well. You and I would have been different on that one, too. I, I I got Auburn going under eight and a half wins, and I feel pretty confident in this one, actually. I got, I'm putting 5,000 down on Auburn to go under eight and a half. And, and here's my rationale for this. Uh, look, I've spent the whole entire pandemic just watching football game after football game at night. That's just kind of what I do. And uh, Auburn, I've watched a number of Auburn games. And, man. God, they didn't impress me last year, and they're losing a lot of those guys. <laughs> and I, and I, I know the argument can be, well, they're losing those guys, so maybe they'll be better. Well, if they were, if those guys that are going to be playing this year, were better than the guys that they lost last year. Why were they not playing last year? I just that argument just never really makes sense to me. Uh, but anyway, like they basically lose everyone of value on both lines of scrimmage. They, like, seriously, they lose um, offensive line, defensive line, anyone of value. They're basically. Going. I know Big Cat Bryant is the one who's getting a lot of love in the in, in the preseason right now. I don't know what in the world that's based on. Like, I hear all these these national pundits out there talking about, "Oh, Big Cat Bryant's coming back." Like, who cares? That guy has done nothing. He has been an absolute non-factor for them. Nothing, nothing at all. So, but I mean, you lose, you lose Davidson, you lose Brown, defensive line. You lose basically your entire offensive line, who really wasn't that good last year anyway. So, like, when you're coming into an SEC season, basically losing anyone of any value on both lines of scrimmage, whoo, that's tough. That's a tough starting point. Uh, then your best tailback transfers, Booby Whitlow's gone. Uh, They were wildly inconsistent quarterback. I know that Bo Nix is everyone's favorite quarterback in the SEC apparently, him and Kyle Trask. And Bo Nix had his moments, don't get me wrong, but he was wildly inconsistent last year. Now, Maybe you can chalk that up to being a freshman, maybe, but I haven't seen this guy be anywhere close to consistent or anywhere close to elite where he's going to be the reason to elevate them above maybe some holes they have otherwise in their roster. Sometimes that can happen. You have an elite quarterback, you might have some holes in other parts of your roster, but the elite quarterback just – he just rises. He just raises you above that level. I haven't seen that from Bo Nix yet. I haven't seen it. Maybe he does it this year. I haven't seen. It. He got a new offensive coordinator. I don't know what the fit's going to be like there with Chad Morris coming in as the offensive coordinator. Will Gus Malzahn actually turn over the offensive play calling this time? Like he said many times, he's lied about that before. Um, and you also lose almost your entire starting secondary outside of Christian Tut, who played star for them most of the time last year, and he wasn't any good. And when I look at their schedule, like Kirk, all right. So yeah, they're going to be Alcorn State. They're going to be at Southern Miss going to beat UMass and they're going to beat Arkansas all right so that's that's what four wins right there outside of those four wins like what other games are sure wins for them
1: oh uh, I mean I honestly don't believe UNC is going to be that good um well, I think UNC and, might,
0: I really do you don't think is gonna be good
1: uh, I mean I, yeah they have a good offense for the most part but no. other than that I just don't think that the their biggest problem is gonna be matching
0: physicality sure but Auburn, you're right about that. You're right. I agree with that on North Carolina. It's front, but Auburn loses both lines of scrimmage, and that's that's week two. I don't know if they're going to be – I maybe. I think, I think it's going to be a better game than a lot of people think it's going to be. I'm not sure I'll pick North Carolina to win for sure, like straight up, but I certainly would not be surprised by that. So let's, let's say we even give the North Carolina, all right? So that's five wins right there. So they got to get four more wins to go over eight. And you look at their schedule, so they've got their – uh say at Ole Miss, the pro- I mean, they'd be the favorite of that game, but it would not shock me if Ole Miss won that game. I'm not going to chalk that up to a sure win for Auburn. Kentucky at home, they'll probably win that game. Uh, maybe you can give them that. So maybe we'll say six there. Uh, at Georgia, I don't see that. Texas at home, maybe a toss-up. Uh, at Mississippi State, can maybe win th- they could maybe be favored in that game. But, again, it's at Mississippi State. They've had issues there in the past. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to say that's an automatic win for them. LSU at home. Uh, not an automatic win than at Alabama. So I just – I don't know. There's just too many toss-up games there that go either way. There's not enough surefire wins for me to go over 8.5 for Auburn. So I'm going to go under with 5,000 on on that bet. All right, who you got coming in as your fourth pick in the SEC West? I was just going to go with 1,000 on
1: Auburn just to – Okay. That was the only one that really gave yeah, me Yeah, the
0: other one – yeah, I looked at the other one. Like I, that's why I went with – that. that's why I had to go with A&M over – uh, nine and a half only a thousand dollar bet, and Alabama under ten and a half a two thousand dollar bet. Because some of the other games I just wasn't like LSU at nine, like LSU could totally get to 10 wins. We just don't know, like, they have so much talent, but they lost so much. Like, like what, uh, what do you know? Uh, I don't know. Mississippi State, I'm not, I mean, who knows what was going on with Mike Leach? I mean, that's a total revamp of the offense, we bringing in his full on air raid style. You got a new tra- grad transfer quarterback coming in. I don't know. There's been some like, uh, some tension between him and some of the players already, so who knows what's going on there. But you're going Auburn over eight and a half with a $1,000. Okay. All right, and my final pick in the SEC West, I'm going to Ole Miss. And this is actually the one I feel best about of the entire SEC West. And I know that sounds crazy because you're like, well, they got a new coach coming in. They weren't that good last year. They didn't make a bowl game. Coach got fired, that whole deal. I get that. I do get that. But, again, I start with the schedule. I always start with the schedule when you're talking about win totals. And I think the schedule is extraordinarily favorable for Ole Miss. I'm not, I don't think they're gonna be a great team, but they're, they're over-under was set at five and a half. So they gotta to get to six wins. They gotta get the bowl eligibility to go over. And I'm putting 7,000 large down on Ole Miss to go over five and a half. And here's why it's basically it's all based on schedule. There are five like almost automatic wins for me. Southeast Missouri is gonna be a win, Yukon is gonna be a win. Georgia Southern is going to be a win. At Arkansas, yeah, it's at Arkansas. I'm still taking Ole Miss in that game. And then, they, of course, they're, they, they had the great fortune of having Vanderbilt as their cross-division rival every year. Yeah, it's at Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt is going to be terrible. That's five wins right there. That's literally five wins. They need one more win the rest of the way to get to six. So that, to me, are they going to beat any of the other SEC West teams? Probably not be Alabama they're not gonna they're not gonna be a and no they're not gonna do that so to me it comes down to, can they be Baylor at home or at home? can they win one of those two games I think the answer is yes 78 percent of their uh production returning on offense from last year is number 23 overall nationally I like the options they have at quarterback no matter what direction they end up going with it's a couple of different options there Uh Jerry on Ely's a really good running back. I wanted Jerry on Ely. We got in, got into it late for him when he was coming to high school. The thought was he might go pro in baseball. He Obviously, ended up going to Ole Miss. He's a really good running back. Electric player back there, runs really with good power as well. Elijah Moore, uh, famous for obviously uh, doing the thing, dog urination impression in the end zone that cost him that game and cost Matt Lucas Job and probably was him for Matt Lucas up here. So thank you, Elijah Moore. I appreciate that. He's a good receiver, regardless of the antics. Jonathan. Was a really receiver coming out of high school. not I think he's a talented guy that could potentially be a breakout receiver this year with Lane Kiffin's offense. Defense, obviously, is a major question. They had 416 yards a game last year, 280 yards a game on the ground, which was dead last in the ICC. So issues there, but I think they're going to put up some numbers offensively. And I'm again, look at the schedule. I think I, I, they're going to get at least five wins. Can they beat Baylor, Mississippi State at home, or somehow pull an upset somewhere? I think the answer is yes. I think they get to six wins and bowl eligibility in year one for Lane Kiffin. I'm pretty confident that i won $7,000 on the over. All right, so now let's move outside the SEC for a few minutes, and uh, we're going to look at the Big Ten and Big 12. We each have two picks left. We can go any team in the Big Ten, any team in the Big 12. So, Kurt, who's your first non-conference pick here today?
1: I'm going 8000 with Ohio State over.
0: Whoa. So you all right, So you like these the big time favorites? You took Clemson. You went big on Clemson to go over eleven and a half. Last I mean, year. This, it's just no one there to challenge. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, so basically, you're saying Ohio State is going undefeated because the, the over/unders at eleven. Yeah. So you got them over eleven at eight thousand. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, uh, man, like, I would love for, for them to lose, but like, like who are they? Well, you're right. Who? Like, what do you think is going to be their toughest game this year?
1: Maybe Michigan, that's about it.
0: In state, maybe, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe Michigan. You're right, there's just no everyone talks about the big Ten is just great, tough conference. I mean, I don't know. they have to go to Oregon, you know? I mean, is that eh? I,
1: I think Oregon will be uh won't be ready for them, that's the thing,
0: yeah. And there might not be fans in the stands on in West Coast game or anywhere, who knows. Um, especially in Oregon. So that might be a, a factor, which could be a really cool home home field environment for Oregon that might not actually end up being a home field environment, other than the fact that it might be played there. So that kind of takes some some steam out of that game. You got at Penn State. You know, do you know that's gonna be a wide out game for sure? That's the game. That's the game right there. They got Michigan at home to end the season. I'm not sure I mean Penn State's not as good as Iowa State, but at home, wide out game at night. I'm telling you that's what's gonna happen there. But we're also gonna trip up. I mean, at Oregon, maybe I mean, you've got to play Iowa. Iowa at home, Michigan State's gonna be terrible. Yeah, you're right. They're gonna win. They're, they're going. They're going undefeated. It's like Clemson. They're just not a challenger. They're going undefeated. Good pick there. All right, uh, my I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna start with the Big Ten as well. Now I'm not gonna I'm gonna go with a team that no one cares about. But hey, man, you gave me the Big Ten and the, the Big Twelve, and I'm trying to put some money down on this. I'm going Purdue. Right again, I know nobody cares. I'm going Purdue over five wins, putting three thousand dollars down on the Boilermakers. Uh, a couple of reasons they, they they did not have a good year last year. You know, Braum, their their head coach, obviously, instead of going to Louisville, which was his alma mater, decided to stay at Purdue, stuck there, and did, did not follow up a, a good. I think it was a Music City Bowl season uh, last. He didn't follow that up last year with a good season. They had, but they had a ton of injuries last year. They didn't make a bowl last year. This year, the schedule: Ohio State or Penn State from the Big Ten East. We get Wisconsin and Iowa at home, which are probably the two favorites. Well. I throw Minnesota in there as well, but two of the three favorites in the SEC are in the Big Ten West. I think they got four. I, I, I think I'm pretty confident to say there's four wins on the schedule at least. Memphis, Air Force at BC with a new coach. BC hasn't been very good, and then Rutgers. I'm gonna give them those four wins right there. And they still have at Illinois, Northwestern, and at Indiana on the schedule, so they get a couple of those wins. They go over five. And look, last year was an I think it was an anomaly for Brom. They uh, had so many injuries. Quarterback Elijah Sindelar got hurt. At, Uh, early in the year. Then their backup quarterback, Jack Plummer, got hurt. Uh, Rondell Moore, if you remember him from back in 2018, had almost 1,500 yards from scrimmage that year. He was out most of the year, but he's going back this year. They had another two friends last year, David Bell, a receiver, go over a 1,000 yards receiving. So two really dynamic electric receivers on the outside. Got some returning quarterback. Not great defensively. They have a couple of players there, but again, schedule, I think, and the fact that they play in the Big Ten West and not the 10 East is very beneficial for them. I got the Boilermakers going over five with a $3,000 bet. Not way over five, maybe six or seven wins, but feel pretty good about them going over. All right, Kurt, who is your last pick? Are you staying in the Big 10 or are you going to the Big 12? I'm going to go to the Big 12 and say uh,
1: 2000 that Baylor's uh, under eight. All
0: right, Baylor under eight, 2K. All right, not buying the Bears? No, the especially in a First year. Yeah, yeah. It, it, sorry, it's, it's a complete turnover. You do have Brewer coming back at quarterback. They have some guys coming back, but you lose Denzel Mims, who's a big part of that offense yeah, last I year. I think losing
1: Mims is the big thing for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was a big part of their of their passing game. There's no doubt about it. He's He, he was a tough player to deal with, man. But I think they're going to be – I don't think Baylor's going to fall off the face of the earth. But, yeah, I think under eight is a good solid pick there. I think they might get back to a bowl, but like at six or seven wins – that's a good pick. Um, and, and, yeah, David Randy, year one as a head coach, period. That's going to be interesting. And he's got a very different demeanor than your average head coach. i mean, kind of interested to see how that plays out. Really good next in those guys. Can he cut it as a head coach? I think that's going to be an interesting story in be 12. All right, now, for me, now, with obviously some of the things that have happened over the past week or so in Stillwater, it caused me to potentially rethink this just a little bit. But ultimately, I stuck to my guns, and I'm going to Oklahoma State Big time over eight and a half wins. I've been putting seven thousand down on the Cowboys to go over eight and a half. I think Oklahoma State could be a sleeper to win the entire Big Twelve this year. I know that sounds crazy, uh, and looks, I know like some of the the tension there could throw a wrench in that. But like if you look at all in the field, the players they have coming back plus their schedule, I think there's a real chance this could be one. Because every now and then Oklahoma State they're pretty consistent, right around seven, eight wins. But every now and then they can rise up and contend for a Big 12 title. They don't always rarely win them, but they can contend. And now they are the Big 12 title game where you be one of the two top teams get in there and you, you got a shot to win the whole thing. I think Oklahoma State's a real contender in the Big 12 this year. I, I think they got wins at Oregon, or Oregon State at home, Tulsa at home, Western Illinois at Kansas, Texas Tech. That's five wins right there. I'm going to give them probable wins over West Virginia at home at Kansas State. And... I don't know if they win the rest of the games, but there's if you look at their schedule, I'm not sure there's a a definite loss on the schedule. Uh, Texas will probably be favored at least right now in the preseason over Oklahoma State, but I don't know if I think that's a definite loss. I think they absolutely could potentially beat Texas. Oklahoma, even I, with Spencer Rattler being a first-time starter, I don't know if Oklahoma's like losing CD Lamb a receiver. Okay. I, I know I'm a believer in Lincoln Riley; he's a really good offensive coach. I don't know if this is going to be a vintage Oklahoma team. And I know that game's at Norman. I get it. Or in Norman. But I think Oklahoma State could potentially win that game. You never know what's going to go down with with Bedlam. So I, I don't know where there's a sure loss on the schedule. And you know what they have in coming back, especially offensively. You've got Spencer Sanders coming back at quarterback in his second year as a starter. Tylen Wallace is one of the best receivers in all of America. Went down uh, – I think after eight games last year, we had 1,500 yards receiving in 2018, had 900 yards receiving in eight games last year. The guy's a stud out wide. Chuba Hubbard, which obviously is the guy behind all the, the hubbub with the Mike Gundy OAN teacher and whatnot. But regardless, Chuba Hubbard is a great running back. Over 2,000 yards last year, got Dylan Stoner coming back as a, as a complimentary piece at receiver. They're a top three offense last year, and they got 75% of that production returning this year. Now, defensively, that's... Always the bugaboo for Oklahoma State. Can they just somehow put together a defense good enough to allow their offense to go out there and just win games for them? They were good last year at 82nd in the nation, but they do have the eighth-most production returning all defense in the whole country, 86% of their returning production coming back. So I think Oklahoma State, I think this is one of the years where they are primed to make a run in the Big 12. I think eight and a half is um, is too low. So I'm going to go over eight and a half for Cowboys, putting $7,000 down on that. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for us here today. Before we get out of here, I do want to just recap the picture real quick. Kurt, correct me if I got this wrong on you. Uh, I've got Curtis going over, Bama over 11 and a half with $10,000. AM under nine and a half with one and a half thousand dollar bet. Arkansas under three and a half with a two and a half thousand dollar bet. Auburn over eight and a half. Not very confident that one, only putting a thousand down on that. I've got you going over Ohio State, going over 11 wins with eight thousand dollars. And then Baylor under eight wins with two thousand. I think that comes out to 25,000. That sound right to you? Yeah. All right, cool. And then me finally here. So, I've got my picks were pretty simple. A couple of differences with Curtis. He had Bama going over. I had Bama going under 10 and a half wins. Not super confident in that one, but putting $2,000 down on them. Much more confident in Auburn going under eight and a am just not seen it with the Tigers this year. Got uh, 5,000 down on Auburn, go under eight and a half. Pretty high on Ole Miss, go over five and a half as well. I'm putting 7,000 down on them. And I'm not overly confident in AM. This is going to be a year with AM will be the most been in 2012. It's a tough division. Only putting $1,000 down all of the Aggies go over nine and a half wins. Then outside the conference, I've got Purdue going over five wins, putting $3,000 on that one. And then another one I'm really confident in here, got the O4 State Cowboys, all the racial tension aside, going over eight and a half wins, putting $7,000 down on that. But uh, all right, guys, that officially does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We are out of here. We will be back later on this week. My plan is, guys, and I have to go out of town for a couple of days, but I'm going to do my best to get our first Scouting the Enemy episode up for this summer. If you guys are new to the show, know we have some new listeners. This is a feature that we do each and every summer where we go down the schedule and we give you as detailed a scouting report as we possibly can on each of the power five opponents on our schedule. And up first, we got the Virginia Cavaliers. I've been hard at work getting ready for this show with them and watching a lot of their tape, their games over the past uh, couple of weeks here. So hopefully I'll be able to have that finished and ready and recorded for you guys. Can't necessarily guarantee it, but we'll have some content for you some way, shape or form. And hopefully it'll be the first scouting the enemy episode of the summer, which is always one of our most popular features that we do all year long. So check back for that guys. Thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.